Luna. So if this bill passes, and I think it, if it hasn't already, it will. It's just uh, California is overwhelmingly Democrat. It's going to pass. If this bill passes in California, it will be considered in the best interest of the child to affirm. So that means like the younger case, you have two parents. James believes that his son, I don't know if his name is James, but dad believes his son is his son. Mom believes his son is a is a girl. It's a biological boy. But if you don't affirm that he's a girl, the court will say you're not doing what's in the best interest of the child in California. Now, they, they, they won't be required, but they'll be required to strongly consider. So it won't be an absolute, but it certainly will at least be predominantly. So let's go through a few of the questions uh, because Ms. Wilson's staff did provide me with answers, and, and this will be interesting for some good context. So the first question, is it fair to say that this bill finds that the parent not going along with a child's change in gender is found to be less fit? If so, this seems dangerous. That's my question. The answer, the statement is misleading. It's actually a question, but that's okay. The following is from the bill's analysis, and now they're quoting the bill's analysis. Contrary to the claim of some opponents, this bill does not require the court to side with the consenting parent. It may place a thumb on the scale in favor of the consenting parent, but that is true of any number of factors that the court considers in determining the best interests of the child. That is true. As I said several times, it doesn't require the judge to do anything but strongly consider, but it's when they say it may place a thumb on the scale. No, it does not may, it does, because the law says that it's in the best interest of the child to go along with the new gender identity. So if you can scroll down, um, I it continues. So existing laws requires the judge to consider several factors which prioritize health, safety, and welfare of the child. This bill would add a parent's affirmation of a child's gender identity as an additional factor weighing in favor of a child's health, safety, and welfare. And that is important. What they are saying is that affirming a child's gender identity, and again, if you still don't understand what that means, if James is a biological boy, but he thinks he's a girl, affirming his gender identity means you refer to him as a girl and call him Luna or whatever female name he comes up with. So this bill would determine that affirming the child's gender identity is a factor in weighing that child's, it, it's healthy, it's safe, and it's better for their welfare, according to this bill, which will soon become a law, to affirm these things. And that's the law that, that they've got going through uh, and uh, and look, they go on and and they they say a history of abuse is obviously important, the nature and amount of contact with both parents. Uh, and so what they're saying is there are a lot of factors. And so what what they want to make sure everyone understands, if you're physically abusive and you've been substantiated with that, but you're affirming the child's gender identity, this bill will not give you custody. The the bill obviously the the physical abuse will still take precedence, 
which is all good and well, but the bill also states that affirming a child's gender identity is in their health, safety, and welfare, benefits their health, safety, and welfare. So um, it doesn't mean that affirming the child's gender identity guarantees you'll get custody, but it is a factor now. And it's the only state that has taken this kind of a social issue. So let's read question number two. Why do you think a parent must go along with a child believing they should be an under another gender or be deemed unfit? And so once again, a parent would not be deemed unfit based on this single factor alone. Generally speaking, we believe that providing affirmation and support to transgender youth will be in their best interest, in the child's best interest. There are many factors. And again, they, as you can probably tell, the, the Assemblywoman, Assemblywoman Wilson wanted to de-emphasize the role this will play. And I think she's, she's right. It's not going to be the only thing any judge looks at, but you're adding it as a factor it's not a factor in any other state, and you're taking a social issue upon which there is no uh, clear agreement, and you're weighing in on one side. And so that is the state of California. I, I gave you, uh, there's a new bill that I think has passed, or it's at least passed the, the state Senate. This is in Washington. And so um, if you are a boy who believes that you should be a girl and you're 12 years old in the state of Washington, you can run to a shelter. And if your parents don't agree with you, that shelter doesn't have to give you back and they can provide gender affirming surgery. And that's either past one of the hot, one of the, the bodies or the entire, or it's a law, but either way, if it's not a law, it will be very soon. And if it is a law, it's become a law. So you have two West Coast liberal states. Now, we should note there are several red states that are passing laws on the other side. Texas and West Virginia have outlawed most or all gender-affirming surgeries for anyone under 18. So... um so it's not so the red states are doing their other side. And this is clearly turning into a culture war. Uh, so whether you're in a red state or a blue state, uh, you're either going to uh, be prohibited from doing certain thing transgender wise to anyone under 18. Or you'll be encouraged to do it depending on the state. And so th these are things to look out for. But this is a very dangerous law. I'm absolutely shocked that they passed this. This this, this isn't just legalizing uh, gender affirming surgery for kids under 18. This is if you don't go along with it as the parent, this shelter can do it for you. And the thing that's, you know, ironic to read about is how they say in Washington, the law presumes children are not legally competent to consent to sex until they're 16. They can vote when they're 18 and smoke or drink when they're 21. So 
it's interesting that a child could really want to drink and it's considered chance. But but if you want to change your sex, your gender, your sex and, and get a life-changing surgery, you can. That's okay. It's that's really okay. disturbing. Right. Yeah. And this is look, this is where it's headed with some of these states. And as I said, the red states in Florida may have also passed a law similar to Texas. Uh they may be they are outlawing these types of surgeries. And I should note, uh, California, as of January 1, passed a sort of pseudo-sanctuary law that if you live in a state where they don't allow gender-affirming gender surgery to change genders for anyone under 18, you go to, go to California and you they won't allow you to be prosecuted back in the original state. Right. And that was passed indirect uh, retaliation. I don't know if that's the right word, but indirect response to Texas, which passed in, in 2022, a law that if you're under 18, you cannot get that surgery. And so they said, if, if you have a child under 18 and they want to become the new sex, just come to California. And not only can you get it, but we'll protect you if the other state tries to prosecute you. And I'm not sure how it would work if you got the surgery in California how Texas would be able to prosecute you, but be that as it may, that law passed. And so these are some of the laws that are coming out of all of these states regarding children and uh, and transgenderism. So let's go to the next one, and then let's talk about some of the cases that I have gotten. Okay, so this is a pretty interesting one. So I interviewed Joanna Rivera. If you could scroll down just a little bit, the... The viewers need to see this. So this is not a a uh, a post that her daughter's school made. Her, her daughter goes to, they both did, to the Marin School that's very close to San Francisco, Silicon Valley, in Northern California. But it is one that the Marin School promoted. And as you can see, it says, calling all gender expansive middle schoolers. Now... The school that, that created this post is called the Transformative Schools. I don't know how many of them there are, but they are schools geared towards transgender children. So uh, I didn't know there were enough transgender children to uh, to have a school necessary just for them. But apparently there's a school dedicated entirely to transgender children. So anyway, the Marin School promoted this on their, I think, Instagram. They replaced the American flag outside of their school and replaced it with the uh, the gay pride flag with the rainbow colors. They have gender-neutral bathrooms, and, uh, and they promoted these Legos that are of the gay pride colors. And uh, she has two daughters, and they're both going through gender dysphoria. Um, and they were court-ordered in her custody case to go to this school which cost uh, at least 10000 a year, probably more. And her ex-husband, his name is Dave Hillard. He was a C-suite, I think. A C-suite is one of the chiefs at Cisco. And I'm sure everyone's heard of Cisco. Now he works at Brandle. But obviously a big deal money-wise and career-wise. He made a bunch of money. Uh, he took her to court first in Virginia, then in California. He misused protective orders. Uh, he just refused to give one daughter and then the other daughter back. And then claim, since we each have protective orders against each other, you can't come here. So as a result, there was no way for her to see her daughters. 
Now they are both in his sole custody. One of them is transitioning. The other one calls herself asexual. Uh, I, I don't know what asexual means, but uh, he's also physically violent. I, I, I found a, uh, a, he, he did like a, uh, like a how-to guide on committing the perfect murder. And here, let me just read this. This is from my article. Joanna's ex-husband, Dave Hillard, is a former executive at Cisco who now works at Brandle. He misused protective orders to effectively kidnap both their children. Here is where David seems to have gotten preferential treatment from the courts. First, both got domestic violence restraining orders on each other. And then the judge, Sheila Lichtblau, L-I-C-H-T-B-L-B-L-A-U, ordered that the two revert back to a Virginia child custody agreement, which granted David approximately 75% of the child custody time. He weaponized the restraining order, Joanna told me. By this, he simply refused to return one daughter for her scheduled custody time. With a restraining order in place, Joanna could not go to his home or she would be arrested. David, Joanna tells me, was also monitoring his oldest daughter's electronics, so there was no way for Joanna to communicate with her one daughter. All the while, he was telling her, that's Joanna, through a court messaging application called Our Family Wizard, that the oldest daughter did not want to see her. And so this guy created a complete mess in his family. He's being allowed to do this by this judge, Sheila Lichtblau. He's sending the girls to a school that's clearly pushing the transgender agenda. And to no one's surprise, both of the daughters are experiencing gender dysphoria. And that's a case out of Northern California, Marin County. Uh, And, uh, and so, um, and it's an example of, uh, and I think we talked about this case when I talked about the big tech executives. Uh, And so I've recently learned that both girls are, are going through gender dysphoria in this case. Okay. Real quick, Mike, what is in typical court that doesn't involve decisions like this, let's just say two parents trying to decide where their child goes to school if they're split up, does that normally have a bias as well where the the parent with custody gets that or is that supposed to be discussed between both parents? Right. Great question. So um, it depends. Okay. When you hear the word joint custody, joint decision-making, then then they're supposed to discuss it among themselves. If you hear sole custody, sole decision-making, they've given that power to one parent or the other. And I should have noted this. There is no law that says public schools are a mess, so it's in the best interest of the child to send the child to private schools. Um, But uh, one of the problems is if the parents don't agree, then then the judge is, is put in the middle. If one parent wants to send the kid to school A and the other parent wants to send the kid to school B and they have joint decision making, then what do you do? You are supposed to work it out. But if you can't work it out, you have to bring in a third party to make that decision. But it it depends. Sole custody is somewhat rare. Sole decision making is somewhat rare. So in the majority of cases, it's supposed to be argued among the parents. Oh, my God. But in this case, what what they did was it was like they they. They basically came to a quote unquote agreement. Uh, Joanna will tell you wasn't really an agreement. She was coerced into the agreement. But part of the agreement was to send them to this school, the the Marin School. And look, the the Marin School is well 
uh, well thought of, well recognized, very expensive, but they have clearly over the last few years, look at these Legos, pushed the transgender agenda. So they're just pushing it into the into the faces of all the kids and both of our daughters are experiencing gender dysphoria. It's so sad to me that these courts aren't concerned, you know, especially if that's something that you've noticed that, hey, in all my time researching in the last decade plus, I've seen this one time and all of a sudden I'm seeing it a lot. You'd think that this would raise red flags to judges and lawyers and juries of why is this becoming a little bit more frequent? Why are we seeing this more? And it seems like it's just being accepted, which is really scary. Right. Well, keep in mind in Northern California, they they are proud of their tolerance towards this stuff. So they are, whether they mean to or not, pushing. So no, in California, they're very, very happy that uh that, that people are transgender because they wanna I, I don't know what what do you what do you call it? Uh they wanna virtue signal that we are accepting of all of this. So there's lots of transgender kids and we believe that's great and we're going to accept them all. The, obviously, that it would be a completely different story in Mississippi or Tennessee or Iowa or Idaho, but this particular case is happening in Northern California, which is about as liberal as it's going to get. Right. Man, and it looks like the head of school, too, has uh, quite a background also. Just very mm -hmm. interesting. I'm Curious to see if more schools like this start popping up, especially in states that are um, more accepting of this movement. Right. Yeah, no, and it is. It's definitely take take a look at the work of my friend Megan Fox at PJ Media. She's covered several of these schools there. They, it is, I don't know if virtue signaling is the right word for it, but there are schools who are determined to be as as welcoming to the transgender culture as they can. Uh, parents' concerns be damned. They don't care if the parents are concerned because they feel that it's a matter of tolerance and inclusivity. And so they, they want to, and they, they wind up being propagandists for the transgender agenda. Two girls are, are, one is transitioning. The other one's confused with what her gender is. And that's just in this one case. Let's get up. The next, uh, the next article that I had. Okay, an interesting case out of Connecticut, and I interviewed Aaron Paranzino. So about eleven years ago, after a physical altercation, she went to the Department of Child and Family. That's the Connecticut version of CPS, and uh, she told the caseworker what happened. And the caseworker told her, you either remove your children from this house or you will be considered to be a committing abuse and neglect. So she gets out of the house. Her ex-husband, there is a mountain of evidence, the testimony of a cop from Rhode Island, uh, several what are called mandated reporters reports, meaning that the kids told teachers. Uh, caseworkers, I think at one point they told someone at camp. So these kids have told a lot of different people that they were being abused. She had physical custody. She might have had sole custody until about 2017. And then a woman named Janice La Liberté, who was a very notorious figure, notorious guardian at litem in Connecticut. She becomes the guardian at litem. She, at some point, 
uh, maneuvers so that this guy, James Connolly, be appointed as the custody evaluator. Connolly, in his custody evaluation, says, no, 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 there's no abuse. This is clearly mom alienating dad. And then another notorious figure, a judge named Maury Murphy, who's no longer a judge, switches custody, gives the dad, his name is Josh Namor, N-E-M-O-R-E, sole custody. And since then, the kids have been suicidal. But if you want to scroll down a little bit, not only are the kids suicidal, let's go down a little bit more. uh, But one of them is indeed also going through gender dysphoria. And there's a uh, a very interesting, keep going. There's a very interesting um, from, from, from notes from um, from from a hospital uh, that and keep going a little bit more uh, that that go and here here we go I think it's a, one more go down a little bit more yeah all right so right right here so it says their daughter is a twelve year old natal female. <laughs> meaning biologically she's a female, to male transgender prefers to be called by the male name and uses he, they pronouns. Now, this is a 2021 emergency room report. And then later in the report, same child who's transgender now says, I am suicidal and have been cutting. So the child has a cry for help because he he or she, whatever you want to call them, is in the custody, the sole custody of a physically abusive person. And they're also transgender. And that's not a coincidence. And Joanna's children, same thing. And it's not a coincidence. I believe in most of these cases, when you have a transgender child, what's actually happening is there's some form of abuse going on. And by having these laws like California's 957 and this other law, what you're doing is you're not looking at the real problem and you're trying to be inclusive, you're trying to be tolerant. And so you're not looking at the root of the problem. And in most cases, I believe the root of the problem is physical abuse. And look, the kids, they self-harm here. Discuss that their son has made good progress, especially in the last week. As of Friday, he was continuing to say he was not ready to go home with father with concerns he would act on suicidal and self-harm urges and end up back in the hospital. Why is he suicidal and self-harming? Because dad is physically abusive. Is it really a stretch that this child who was also transgender might be experiencing gender dysphoria because he's being physically abused? Is that possible? I think it is. Uh, I think we're going to look back and realize that all, not all, that a lot of these children going through gender dysphoria were being abused and we were trying to be tolerant and instead of looking at the root of the problem. So let's get to the the next uh, link. And oh, and this is what, what dad did to him. Like there on the screen is he cut him up pretty good. Oh, or he might, this might have been him him cutting himself up, but uh, the the evidence of physical abuse is pretty significant. And as I said, until 2017, everyone agreed that dad was physically abusive. That's, you know, those are those are marks either made by the child or or by dad. Um and uh and and one of the uh the judges is a judge named Anthony Trulia, 
And he's a notorious figure. He was involved in a case, Rory Doyle. He's involved in this case. He's got a Facebook page first full of half-naked women. I'm working with another guy. Uh, truly is a guy who probably shouldn't be on the bench either. Uh, and he was involved in this case. And look, um, one of the problems is there's a lot of really bad judges in, in Connecticut. So uh, truly is one of many uh, problematic judges uh, in Connecticut. And he's involved in this case. He was one of the judges who ignored all the physical abuse. Uh, he didn't grant custody to dad, but he kept custody with dad, even after seeing the the evidence of physical abuse. And that's the and that's, scary part. Like you said, we're being so accepting that it's not tolerated anymore to even ask a question about it. You know, right. this is all of a sudden so prevalent, not just in court, but just in general, we're seeing all kinds of kids. You know, I go, I can't go anywhere without seeing lots of people with he, she, him, her, whatever right. it is, you know, and just very, she. Different very, and very she. And it, it is, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know what the word for it is bad. Let's just call yeah. it. It's bad, all right? and, and we're you not allowed to say, why is this happening so much? What is going on right now? That's so well, part of it is that the culture is more accepting of it. But look, I think a lot of this is a cry for help. And because this is so sheep, this is the cry for help. But as I said, I think you're not looking at the root of the problem. Most yeah. of the time, I won't say all the time, who knows in any individual case why it's happening. But yeah, no, it's a lot more prevalent and everybody's saying it's cool. And um, some celebrities uh, have kids who are transgender. One of Mike Tyson's kids is transgender. One of Magic Johnson's kids is transgender. One of Dwayne Wade's kids is transgender. So that's being pushed into you. And then, you know, you see Dwayne Wade with his daughter, who's really his son and, oh, isn't that great? And, and he's uh, allowing her to be who she really is. Even though she's really he or he's really she, I don't remember, I don't care. Um, and everyone is really proud of the way that Dwayne Wade has raised that child. And he raised a child who was so uncomfortable in their own skin that they were not comfortable with the gender they were born with. And everybody says he did a great job. And, and said you know, on. You had said on another podcast that you did about, and it was a really good point, you know, whenever we were younger, the equivalent to this was maybe somebody being a tomboy, you know, and um, maybe dressing. The, the equivalent to this were, were were the kids who dressed in goth and cut themselves. Being a tomboy is fine. I, there, there's nothing wrong with a girl enjoying things that are, are traditionally enjoyed by boys. They're, you know, there's nothing wrong with a girl who likes football, all right, or camping or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with a, with a guy who likes things that are traditionally supposed to be enjoyed by girls. There's nothing wrong with a man going into fashion, being interested in fashion uh, or a nurse, but that's, that's a whole other, that, that's a different deal. But to me, the, the equivalent when I was like 17, 18, where the kids who dressed in God were cutting themselves. The difference is we were not encouraging you to cut yourself, but we, when I was growing up, though, it wasn't like we got it right. We were condemning those kids. We were isolating those kids. We were bullying those kids. And we were demeaning those kids. So the problems they had were being perpetuated by their peers and their teachers. So it wasn't like we were getting it right. But now we've gone the other way where we're so tolerant that we're encouraging this behavior. And so we there has to be a happy medium. 
Um, so let's get the next uh, the next one up. So this is a hearing that I I found by accident, but it was from May of 2022. It's Kane County, Illinois, and Kane County is about 50 miles west of Chicago. So this you're going to hear. I don't remember the guy's name, but he's the guardian at Lightum. He's going to describe the problem, but he's going to really, really quickly tell you there's two kids, a boy and a girl, and they both want to transition. But it's one of a myriad of problems. And just listen to him describe the case. Thank you. 
Okay, I think we're good. All right. So right in the beginning, I if you weren't paying attention, you might have missed it. But he says, we've got some issues, some gender identity issues. And then later on, he says that the boy is now calling himself by a girl's name and the girl is calling himself by a boy's name. But right after he gets done saying, we have some issues, some gender identity issues. So we're dealing with that. And then he says, but the real problem, this is the guardian lineup says this, the real problem is I have two doctors and so there's two doctors plus the guardian lineup appointment in the case, and they don't agree. And so, so that's the, the, the real problem for him is this family is in crisis because you got two kids and they both want to be different sexes. And then one of the kids may, may or may not have autism. But the real problem is we have these two doctors and they don't agree. So he doesn't know what to do. So you you have all of these people appointed to the case. And the end result is you got two kids. Both of them want to be the other gender. And you got three, four people who are appointed to the case and no one can seem to figure out what to do. And then throughout, he also touches upon and part of this hearing was an argument as to whether or not they should bring in a custody evaluator. That's the same as this guy, James Connolly. And so you have the guardian ad litem, you heard him, he referred to two therapists. So you have at least the guardian ad litem and two therapists. No one can seem to figure out what to do. What's the solution? Well, let's bring in a fourth person, at least. There might be a couple other people that they didn't mention yet. 
Uh, and this is their solution. This is always the solution. Whatever the problem is, bring someone in. Bring in a guardian ad litem. Bring in a custody evaluator. Bring in somebody else so they can make some money. Uh, nobody's actually trying to solve any real problems. This is a family in crisis, obviously, since you have two kids struggling through gender dysphoria. And so um, no one seems to have an answer. You heard him. I don't know what to do. I gender, I've never... he. They, they have two doctors, two therapists on the case, and he's very perturbed because they have a difference of opinion. And if that's the case, why do you bring on two therapists? If, they're, if you expect two therapists to always give you the exact same solution, what do you need two of them for? But this is how they treat it. We, we have a difference of opinion. I don't know what to do. Let's bring in a third person or a fourth or who knows how many people have been on. Um, and so this is how they're, they're treating gender dysphoria. You got two kids, both one, one's a boy wants to be a girl, one's a girl, wants to be a boy, and this is how they're treating them. It's fascinating to me how little they listen to the actual children. You know, they give them these rights, like, hey, they're in charge of their gender, they're in charge of surgeries, but Mm -hmm. we're not going to listen to their voices or, you know, get down to the root of their problems and figure out what they need. It's so, I mean, you nobody does a better job in exposing it than you, but it really does show just how, Everything they don't, really, like they don't really care what the child wants. With no. the gender issue, they do because it's a virtue signaling thing. It's a politically correct thing. You don't want to be labeled a transphobe that, with that. But in general, you're absolutely right. They don't know what the problem with the kid is. They don't care. They just want to hear from other experts. And if those experts can't find a solution, we'll just bring in one more expert uh, dad's attorney, I don't know if it was in the first six minutes, but at one point he said that yeah, we should bring in a custody evaluator to tie this in a bow, whatever that means. Well, you know, if the custody evaluator will tie it in a bow, why didn't you just bring him to begin with? Why don't you get rid of the other people and just have him or her? Uh, and, and if the custody evaluator ties it in a bow, why didn't we just get that? Why can't the guardian let him tie it in a bow? Why is it? that only the uh, the custody evaluator can tie it in a bow. So um, that's how they, they treat these things. And you'll see that. What, what, what will happen in most of these cases is the transgender issue will be yet another excuse to appoint yet another person. So if you have a guardian ad litem, get another person on a parenting coordinator, custody evaluator, psychological evaluator, some sort of therapist, like in this case. And that's how they're going to fix it. Let's get to the last one. And this is an interesting case. California transgender parent claims he is parental alienation victim. So I I did a whole thing on how ridiculous parental alienation is. And this just takes it to another level. So dad, his name is Mikhail. He's not really a he, he's a she. Uh, He is on the birth certificate as dad, so he is dad. So they have a 13, she's 13, probably 14 now, because I wrote this last year. Uh, so her then 13-year-old daughter, uh, since March to, until June, she couldn't see her. Why not? Well, because Mikhail convinced his daughter that Kristen was alienating her. So this is an affidavit. Let me read this. Since their daughter was seven years old, Kristen has been the alienating parent. And now their daughter is older. She is no longer the, letting the alienation affect her 
like when she was a young child and is not easily manipulated. So now she's estranged from Kristen due to Kristen involving their daughter for six years in severe parental alienation. And this is another trick that these the people who propagate parental alienation do. It doesn't really say what it is that Kristen did that alienated her daughter. He just says she did. And so it, now, and apparently what this guy wants the world to believe is that at 13, she had a eureka moment, this girl. And once she realized that her mom had been alienating her, she wanted nothing to do with her mom anymore. And it's all her mom's fault. Uh, and if you believe that, I have some swampland in Mogadishu, Somalia to sell you. And oh, wait. Oh, here we go. So March of 2022 is when all this started. So what does the court do? They order a reunification therapist. See, they had a garden at Lightham. So you see how they find problems. And there's always, always the solution is to add someone to the case so they can charge you some money. And that's exactly what they're doing. And so I'm going to be doing a follow-up on this. Uh, apparently, Mikhail, who doesn't like me, I don't know why, um, but Mikhail has uh, dumped the whole parental alienation thing and is now claiming that mom, not exactly like sexual abuse, but that she was sexually inappropriate with her daughter many years ago. And as a result, now her daughter doesn't want to see her now anymore. And so he describes some incident that Kristen says didn't happen. But even if it did, you wouldn't suddenly five years later say, now I don't want to see my mom. Because five years ago, like she had paraded herself around her daughter naked. Uh, and so now as a result of that, she no longer wants to see her mom. That wouldn't actually happen usually. Um, but now he's making a whole separate argument. And uh, so he's stop with the whole parental alienation thing and he's come up with a new argument. And as I mentioned, he's not really a he, he's a she. Uh, he was born a she. Uh, he identifies as a he. He is on the birth certificate as dad. He obviously isn't the biological dad because he's not biologically a man, but um, he's misusing parental alienation here. And this is, uh, this is how far it's gotten where the parent who's not really a parent is misusing parental alienation. The dad who's not really a dad is misusing parental alienation. That's, that's how far we'll get with, with parental alienation. And this is out of San Francisco County, which is another county that's going to cater to the transgender uh, folks because they want to be tolerant and, uh, and welcoming and virtue signal. And so as a result, obviously, uh, we're not going to say that the transgender parent just merely by being transgender may be the less fit. Uh, and we're, we're going to go along with this idea that he's being alienated and, uh, and we'll, you know, and they'll work from there. And look, well, what has this done? He violated a court order. I, I want to mention he had custody for some period of time, let's say five days in March. He was supposed to bring her back. He refused to bring her back, the daughter that is, uh, and he meaning Mikhail. And then claim, well, she was alienated once she realized that she's alienated. She didn't want to go back. Well, that, you know, that, that's not how it works. You're required to bring her back. You can't just say no. And the court allowed it. Instead of ordering him to bring her back, orders a reunification therapist and creates a big mess. And here we are a year later. They still haven't unraveled it. 
And I don't know if they've got lawyers, but a whole bunch of people made money on it now. Oh, my goodness. There does seem to be a trend, too, where these children that are ending up in these court cases have mm-hmm. a parent that is trans. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's something That's something that, that will probably pop up as well. Look, there's no question that that like trans it's exponentially more prevalent than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, every once, once, once in a while, because, because look, our, our society was not tolerant. Now it's so tolerant that uh, everybody thinks it's cool. And as I said, celebrities, kids, celebrities themselves, uh, Caitlyn Jenner did a lot for that. Uh, the Wayne Wade's child, Angie Jensen's child, they all, have done a lot for that. There's a lot of TVs and TV shows and movies that have done it. Um, so you're seeing it's a lot more prevalent. But look, of course, I, if you're asking me, is it a problem? Of course it's a problem. You're uncomfortable in your own skin. You're uncomfortable in your own sex. You were born a boy, you think you're a girl. You were born a girl, you think you're a boy. Of course that's a problem. Uh, it's an identity crisis, a gender identity crisis. You know, if you have another kind of identity crisis, nobody's like, we're going to be very tolerant of your identity crisis. No, you try to fix it. Um, and look, in reality, if it's happening to kids, if you're not pushing it, it goes away. You know, kids want to be cowboys for a week or two. Uh, they run around and then they get it out of the system. They want to be something else. It's the same thing with this. But if you're encouraging it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, well, then there you go. Um, and and that, that's, I think, some of what happens. But as I said, I think a lot of this comes from kids being abused. And I've had lots of cases on my podcast that have talked about that from abuse victims, you know, that that was a way that their parents did abuse them and confuse them as children was dressing them in different, you know, clothes of the opposite sex, cutting their hair. It right. really does like children's minds aren't developed enough to be able to understand all of that, you know, and they just right. absorb everything like a sponge. And it's like, you can see why that would be very confusing and end up being a problem once they get a little bit older going to school, like you said, and now it's pushed in classrooms. So it normalizes it from the time that they're little all the way up until school while their brain's developing, and I can't imagine, you know, growing up in an environment like that and not being swayed by it. You know, I was a tomboy growing up a little bit. If somebody would have been like, oh, Emma, why don't you go get a surgery? Like, that must mean you're a boy. I probably would have been all for it because. Right. Well, if it's, if it's pushed, if it's pushed on you and, and being a tomboy, as I said, there's such a huge difference. For sure. Between, right. Between doing activities that are traditionally bo- boys do and, and hanging out with boys if you're a girl uh, and and that doesn't and look uh, you know a lot of and you can you can speak to this better a lot of that goes away once you hit yes. puberty and uh, and you start to like the opposite sex um and and in the younger case that's absolutely what happened the mom testified and, and it was her lawyer so this wasn't under like tough cross-examination her lawyer said well you called one of your children Luna. Why is that? And she said, well, when he was three, he said he wanted to pretend to be a girl. And he was five. He said he wanted to stop pretending. And so, you know, 
Well, so what? If the five-year-old said, I want to take a smoke of, of your cigarette, would you give it to him? If he said, I want a beer, would you give it to him? If he said, I want a coffee, would you give it to him? No. So how come when he said, I want to stop pretending to be a girl, you said, okay, or stop pretending to be a boy, or I want to stop pretending to be a girl, I want to be a girl. You said, sure. You wouldn't let him use illegal drugs. Would, if, if your five-year-old said, I want to go live on my own and pay rent, would you say, okay, go ahead, go find a, an apartment? No. So how come when he said, I want to stop pretending to be a girl, you said, okay, then I'm just, you're going to be a girl. Um, and that's what happened. That, that's what she testified to. It's like, I wish that they would give the same type of age requirements for those decisions that they do with something as major as putting alcohol in your system or smoking tobacco. Yeah, yeah no, it's are you, 21. You need to be, you need to be 16 to drive, 18 to vote, 21 to drink. But apparent in some states, any age to switch genders. Absolutely crazy. Something to follow. This is not going away. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's absolutely a culture war issue. It's horrific. You know, it's like you said, it's very abusive to the children to not ask what's going on with them and to just basically ignore it and say, well, because the the parent thinks that it's okay, it must be okay. You know, and it's really sad too that something that major, even if there's a parent that isn't, I would say, um, involved in custody, if they if it has sole custody. It's still sad that something as big as a surgery or putting a child on hormones isn't the other parent. If they don't have custody, they don't have any type of say in that. They they usually do. And I and I do want to clarify in the younger case, though, she has sole custody, sole decision making, sole medical decision making. They did put a clause in the order that in order to have gender affirming surgery, both parents had to agree. So they did would not allow that in that particular case. And I don't know any case where they've allowed it with a child under 18 in a custody case. But yeah, no, look, if if they don't specify that and they give one parent sole medical decision making and the child wants to switch genders and that's not carved out, that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. You've a couple things right now that you see as really big red flags, which obviously make a lot of sense. What do you see coming up in the future that could potentially make this even more dangerous? Well, look, the culture is, is what's making it more dangerous. It's being pushed everywhere. Look, this the Marin School, the Marin School, Marin School is not some like backwater school on the south side of Chicago that has no funding. It has an enormous amount of funding. So this is a very posh school that's pushing that agenda. It's happening in schools, not every school, probably not even most of the schools, but the schools where it's happening and it's definitely getting a lot of attention. And then these laws, look out for these blue states, California, Oregon might be another one that will push something like this, Washington, New York, watch out for New York. They're going to push these laws. Um, this AB 957, I do think it's dangerous. It's I, I'll, I'll keep repeating it. It's important to understand that the law doesn't require a judge to do anything except to strongly consider, which is not a requirement still to do anything. But that being said, um, to put your thumb on the scale and to say it's in the best interest of the child to affirm their gender is very dangerous. And if you see this in several blue states that you basically you're you're 
siding with the parent that's going along with the jet with the new gender um and that that is that's extreme you know if you're a parent in that state especially if you don't know that that's the law you're going to have a big problem in your custody case have you seen any cases yet where let's say i haven't i haven't seen a case well that law hasn't passed so i haven't obviously seen that case yet i haven't seen I haven't seen any case, the, the one case where, where gender has been involved primarily is that younger case. Uh, I, I don't know what happened with the Kane County case. So I saw the case, but I only listened to that one hearing and I lost track of it. So I don't know what happened with the case. And in that case, dad was blaming mom for the gender dysphoria. But they obviously were not giving dad sole custody as a result of it. They weren't even necessarily agreeing. And, and there was it's like a 28 minute hearing. You, you saw, if you, if you were watching, you could see where you could find it. It's mass confusion. The two kids have gender dysphoria. No one can figure out anything. They're all arguing amongst themselves. And then they were supposed to come back in a month and a half and figure things out again. And they probably didn't. Who knows where that case is at? Um, what I see though, is that kids and gender dysphoria is at least anecdotally starting to pop up. And I think in a year, you're going to see even more of it. And I don't know how big it's going to grow, but this is not a one in a thousand kids thing anymore. Um, it's probably closer to one in a hundred and it might grow from there. Uh, and I think that's very sad. Uh, you know, you were born a girl. Um, if you're uncomfortable being a girl, that that's a problem. Uh, and to change your gender, I don't think you're fixing the problem, but that's me, uh, the, the Ms. Wilson and Mr. Weiner. And I did want to mention they they are uh, representing the will of their voters. So whether you agree with them or not, you should know that they're coming from liberal areas. The the people voted for them. Weiner especially is very much an activist. Not, it's they're not doing something that they didn't uh, campaign on. So they they're representing their voters. They did campaign on this, but. Uh, I think these are dangerous laws. Um, Ms. Wilson and Mr. Weiner disagree with me, but uh, and uh, we'll see. You've got one in Washington, one in California. You're going to see, I think, blue states come up with this kind of stuff, and parents won't have decisions to make, and parents who don't go along with gender affirmation will be viewed as last fit, um, whether they like it or not. Have you seen in any... I, I guess I could just say conservative states um, to make it more broad. Have you seen, I know you mentioned a couple laws possibly pertaining against this. Have you seen any cases where the outcome was the opposite of what you're seeing in say California? I haven't seen, I, I'll, I have definitely not seen a court say you're pushing this child to be trans and that's not in the best interest of the child. So I'm giving the child to your parent. I've not seen that. The laws in the red states don't deal with child custody per se. What they say is no one under 18 can have these surgeries. So that's not a child custody issue. And, and I've, do, I've done this hypothetical, uh, and I wouldn't agree with this law. So let's say in the state of Nebraska, there's a law that says something like this. Public schools are broken, and so we in the legislature order that a judge strongly consider it to be in the best interest of the child to send the child to private school in case a non-consenting parent wants to send the child to public school. We've not seen that kind of a law, and I don't think that's a good law. 
I don't think that a state should put a thumb on the scale and say in child custody, we should side with the parent who wants to send the kid to private school. I don't think we should do that either. So, and we're not seeing that. And the two that, these two laws that I saw, these are the first two I've noticed that deal specifically with the trans issue and parental rights. Now there, there's parental rights in schools that are, laws are popping up as far as what parents are allowed to know, what they're allowed to object to. That's specifically in school, but as far as their custody and being a parent, these two laws are the first two I've seen. I don't think they're the last. We'll, we'll see this pop up in more blue states. And I think what the red states will do is not allow you to have these surgeries until you're 18, uh, which I absolutely agree with. Okay. Well, that at least gives, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Hopefully some of these laws over time too, I really hope that, you know, more goes into studying the root cause, like what you were suggesting and that we find better measures to go about this. You know, it's unthinkable. You know, the, the, the kids, uh, at least in my school, the kids who cut themselves and dressed in goth, they were having problems. Yes. Obviously. So, you know, I think this is the equivalent. It's the new chic way. It was chic if you were dark and had a certain group. It was Bender from, from Breakfast Club. That's the equivalent. Um, you were like the Bender type to dress like that and then to cut yourself. It was chic to try to commit suicide. Um, but no one was promoting it. But right. now, they're promoting, they're, now they're promoting it. Yeah, no, look, I think it's a really big problem. Uh, it's only going to grow. Our culture is just there. It's embracing it. It's, it's cool to be transgender. I don't know. It's not cool uh, to not be comfortable with your with your gender. That's not that cool. It's a problem. There was some problem somewhere along the way. It doesn't mean it can't be resolved. And even if you become transgender, it doesn't mean your life is over. But um, to promote this, to encourage it, I, I think you're you're doing the complete wrong thing. You're not looking at the root of the problem. And as I said, I think in a lot of these cases, it will be abuse, but no. In California and Washington and other states, you're going to see them uh, embrace this culture and uh, and encourage kids to do this and give kids more and more ways to do this and give parents less and less power to, to stop it. Uh, and both AB 957 and the law in Washington absolutely do that. Like, could you imagine back then, whenever that was booming, when people were cutting themselves and being goth, if society was just like, oh, we're, we want you to do this. Please keep right. doing it. We're not going to ask right. any questions. They weren't. Nobody can say anything. We want you to do this. We want suicide rates to skyrocket. And we're going to be all inclusive right. with that. You know, it's that was, right. I feel like when therapy really boomed, we tried to get people help and therapy became a really big part of culture. And we started seeing more self-help and, you know, right. more... What those kids needed was someone to listen to them, not to encourage the cutting, but to someone to listen. As I said, I don't think we as a culture necessarily got it right because we weren't listening to them necessarily. We were we were demeaning them and and uh, finding them in contempt of personal contempt and treating them as outcasts, as Bender was in, in the breakfast club. Um so that wasn't necessarily the right way to go. But we certainly were not saying, good job. This time, when you cut yourself, finish yourself off. Don't do it wrong. Right. And we weren't doing that. But 
you know, it's, it's hard. These are difficult things for society, uh, and especially in high school. High school is tough. But um, what you're seeing with the trend and the law and the culture is the embrace of this, and you're. It's not stopping. It's gaining momentum. So you're going to see more and more kids doing it, uh, and especially in custody cases because that's traumatic in itself. You're you have like this bad thing happening at home, and so. That's confusing. And so who knows how you're going to respond to that. And uh, and so I think you're going to see a lot more custody cases with trans kids. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you bringing attention to this. I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this element of it. Um, mm-hmm. And statistically, seeing your research span, you know, a decade plus and being able to kind of pinpoint what's happening, I think is very significant. And these cases are very concerning and significant to you. So I really appreciate you shining a light on this and hopefully helping parents in the future who might go through this. You know, you're putting a spotlight on it before it starts proliferating more. So hopefully this is helpful to people. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today regarding this that we didn't cover already or any closing? No. Thank you for having me and catch me at michaelvolpe.substack.com. And where else are you on social media for people? I mentioned your YouTube page. At Mike Volpe on Twitter. I'm not sure what my Facebook handle is, but you can find me. And Michael Volpe is my YouTube channel. And I've got a few interviews coming up that uh, you should check out as well. Awesome. Mike, you're a fantastic wealth of knowledge. Again, this is a topic I don't see anybody really talking about in this way. So I appreciate you doing it. So everybody, I'm going to link all of Mike's links below in the show notes. No matter what platform you're on, just go in the show notes. It should highlight for you. All you have to do is click, follow, subscribe, uh, whatever the prompt is for the, the platform. Please go support Mike. These topics definitely aren't going to be raised in the algorithm naturally. Um, mm-hmm. So it takes all of us to rally around the the guests that I have on the show and that are doing podcasts for free. We have to go help them elevate their voices so these stories can get heard. So please go support Mike. His Substack is phenomenal. You'll get daily updates from interviews of articles, of resources, and Mike definitely, he makes it worth the subscription. So please go subscribe and you're going to get exclusive interviews. So even if you follow his YouTube channel, he posts a lot on his Substack that you're never going to see on YouTube. Um, so you're missing out if you're just on his YouTube, you're getting some of it, but please go to a Substack. You're going to get so much more. Um, I've learned so much from that platform personally. So I want all of you guys to go subscribe to that as well. So you guys, thank you so much for tuning in and supporting. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.